The views expressed represent the opinion of Modern Wealth Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. Modern Wealth Management does not accept any liability for the use of the information discussed. Consult with a qualified financial, legal, or tax professional prior to taking any action. Thanks for joining us on America's Wealth Management Show. As a quick heads up, all of the resources we discussed today will be included in the show notes for the episode. Just find the link for the resource you're looking for in the episode description. You'll find links to other episodes, articles, videos, and our calendar. Don't miss out. For those of you who prefer a visual experience, head over to our YouTube channel where we release a new episode on video and on demand. So be sure to check out the show notes so you don't miss a thing. Now, let's get to the show. So one of the things if you're going to buy a mutual fund inside of a taxable account that you have to look at is what are the embedded gains in that fund at that time and what's the turnover ratio of that fund so the likelihood of there being a taxable gain that's a phantom gain that you might be buying into. You got to be careful with that. All right, Bud Casper here on America's Wealth Management Show with me, Dean Barber, talking about your favorite topic, taxes. <laughs> hey, taxes. No, I know. You know, taxes come in all shapes and sizes, and it's interesting to watch as young you know, people coming out of college and they start to work for the very first time and they, they're going to get their $50,000 salary, their $60,000 salary, whatever it is. And they get their first paycheck, and it's like, "What is this? Yeah, right. This isn't. Yeah. I, I'm making more than this. What? Where, where's all this money going? What's exactly this Medicare right. thing? What's this FICA thing? Yeah. How, how am I? Wait a minute. Yeah, I need a raise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, 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 and they. You know, imagine if you got to keep every dollar you made. Yeah, no doubt. What a difference that would make. Now, of yeah, course, what country are you in? By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Now, of course, I think that we have some pretty favorable tax rates right now. Now, we do also know that the tax rates that we have today will change come January 1st of 2026 because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was signed into law by President Trump Mm -hmm. is due to sunset. So everybody will experience a tax increase starting on January 1st of 2026, assuming that Congress does nothing between now and then. And, you know, it, 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 when you think about taxes, capital gains taxes are one of those taxes that you actually have a bit of control over. There's some instances where you have no control, and that is phantom gains. And we'll talk a little bit about that on today's program. But controlling capital gains and understanding the timing of capital gains is really critical to keeping as much money as you can out of Uncle Sam's pocket. Absolutely right. You know, you know, control what you can control. But if you don't know how to control it, you're, you're blind, right? So we have the opportunity to have CPAs, you know, inside our firm working with the CFPs. And I can't tell you as a person who's been a CFP for most of my adult life that uh, it's critical that we uh, work with these people. Absolutely. Let's, let's first by just start by just giving a little second grade version of what a capital gain is. So a capital gain occurs when you buy an asset, whether it is a piece of property, whether it's land, whether it's a stock, whether it's a bond, it doesn't matter. You bought something and then let's say you paid $100,000 for it. And then later you sold it 
for $150,000. Mm-hmm. The difference between what you paid and what you sold it for is a capital gain. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also such a thing in the investment world as a capital loss, right? right? And it's just mm-hmm. the opposite. If you paid 100000 and you sold it for 50000 you have a capital loss of $50,000. The biggest difference between the two, bud, mm-hmm. is that every time you have a capital gain, it shows up on your tax return. And we're going to, have to discuss how those capital gains are taxed. Mm-hmm. But if you have a capital loss and you don't have capital gains to offset that capital loss, you can only use $3,000 of that capital loss in that given year. Now, you get to keep using it until it's all gone, but it's not nearly as favorable as the uh, as the capital gain is punitive. Um, so in other words, in the example that I just gave, you had a $50,000 gain. That shows up on your tax return. You have a $50,000 off without any other gain to offset it. Mm-hmm. You don't get to claim all that loss. Right. So it's not going to save you any money. Yeah, because the first question is, is it short term or long term? You know, so that's a year and a day or less will determine whether it's short or long from that perspective. Is that a big difference? Yeah, it's a difference. It's a big difference on the gain, not mm-hmm. a big difference on the loss. No gain difference right? on the loss, right. <laughs> on the loss, it is what it is. It's a capital loss. On the gain, a short-term capital gain is going to be taxed at your current tax rate. Yeah, ordinary income tax ordinary rate. Ordinary income tax rate. A long-term capital gain gets more favorable tax treatment. Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of break down how that long-term capital gain works. If you have uh, married filing jointly a income of less than $89,250, including the capital gain... Mm-hmm. then the capital gain is, and this is your taxable income, okay? Right, So that's not, yeah, that, that's after standard deductions, et cetera. Okay. So if, you're, if your taxable income is less than 89250 for a joint filer, the capital gains rate is zero as long as it is a long-term capital gain, which means you held the asset for a year and a day, day. Right. or more. Yep, right. right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you are somewhere between the 89250 uh, and you are below uh, four hundred and I'm sorry five hundred and thirty three thousand five hundred fifty three thousand eight fifty. You're going to be in a fifteen percent capital gain rate, mm-hmm. with an exception. Once your taxable income exceeds two hundred and fifty thousand, then you have the extra three point eight percent surtax for right. the Affordable Care Act. Right, right. That's how we can. Afford to pay for only in America. Insurance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a not that that act made healthcare not very affordable. Yes, it, you're absolutely right, and that was an Obama deal. If yeah, I remember, it was, right. it was the it did the exact opposite of what the name said. Sure, sure. Right. So you know when when people, especially you know the number of clients we have that are farmers, you know, and they've got property that, that has been passed down through the generations, and now they're ready to sell that property. They had stepped up cost bases, you know, associated with that, meaning that prior gains were uh, forgiven, if you will, as we had a stepped up basis associated with that. But eventually, Uncle Sam's pocket is going to be filled, yep. and so when that happens, uh, there is a look of shock on people's faces when you uh, look at the amount of money that the government would get at that time. But you know what? We're in a situation right now where farmers, uh, particularly, and I'm, 
I don't know why I'm going down this particular path. But boy, if they don't uh, understand what the ramifications of this and passing on to the next generation, it becomes a very critical factor. Well, anybody that's got any wealth, any highly appreciated assets has got the same issue. We'll talk about how that transfer happens and how the step up in basis can help on that and timing of sale or don't sell uh, can make a critical difference. But before we get to that, I mentioned that if you're between 89250 and 553850 for a married couple filing jointly, you're in the 15% uh, capital gains rate. If you're over the 553, you're now in the 20% capital gains rate. And of course, then you add the 3.8% surtax on there. So you're actually at 23.8. So I have a trivia question for you, bud, that I I oh bet you don't get. <laughs> <laughs> I love your confidence. Oh, you're supposed to go first, I guess. Oh, I am? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll be happy to comply with your wish. And that is, at what percent was capital gain tax capped at in 1981? In 1981, capital gains uh, was capped at the ordinary income tax rate. The answer was 20%. 20%. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. 1981. I was still in school then. <laughs> All right. Here's this one's for you. At what rate was the capital gains uh, capped at after the Tax Reform Act of 1986 signed into law by Ronald Reagan? Um, 50%. 28%. <laughs> I took a stab. <laughs> 28%. Okay. And now it's 20%. So that's interesting. 20, 28, 20. Yeah. What's next? Yeah, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually 23.8 because of the, the surtax. And, you know, there was some some crazy talk um, in Congress about a uh, a wealth tax. In other words, taxing you on the increase of your net worth each year, whether you sold something or not, whether you actually realize that capital gain is just a gain in your net worth. So if your home went up in value, if you're business went up in value, pay tax on that increase in value, whether you sell it or not, which is insane. Mm -hmm. I doubt that'll ever see the light of day, but that has been talked about. So here we are in an environment where we have a favorable capital gain rate Mm -hmm. today, right? Reasonable. Reasonable. Um, So let's talk a little bit, Bud, about the uh, phantom gains. So phantom gains will typically occur from a equity mutual fund. Sometimes they can occur from a bond mutual fund, but primarily a phantom gain will occur in an equity mutual fund that is not held in any kind of a tax deferred account. So if it's in a taxable account, whether that be individually owned, jointly owned, owned in a trust, whatever, capital gains on a taxable account that are a result of a mutual fund selling a stock, they have zero um, effect on the value of your account. So let's just say, for an example, you had a mutual fund that had a $10 per share value. Mm-hmm. And sometime during the year, that fund manager unloaded some stocks that it had purchased years ago, and it resulted in a 10% capital gain. So a dollar per share capital, capital gain. gain. Well, they have to, by law, distribute that capital gain. So what do they do? They distribute the capital gain. Typically, it reinvests back and buys more shares, but the share price actually drops 
by the same amount as the capital gain. So if it's a $1 capital gain and you had a $10 per share price, now all of a sudden you've got a $9 per share price, but you own more shares because that capital gain reinvested and bought more shares. Your value of your account didn't, didn't change, change at all, but that capital gain shows up on your tax return. That's why we call it a phantom gain. Right. Because if you didn't own that mutual fund for the entire time, of when that manager bought those stocks and realized those gains over time, you didn't benefit. You could have bought that fund in one year and held it, and the fund could actually lose value during that particular year, and you had to pay taxes on a phantom gain that you didn't get to take part in. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, if you're going to buy a mutual fund inside of a taxable account that you have to look at is what are the embedded gains in that fund at that time, and what's the turnover ratio of that fund. So the likelihood of there being a taxable gain that's a phantom gain that you might be buying into, you got to be careful with that. Yeah. And many times you have to do is go in and sell your shares to get your capital gain rate rather than the phantom rate that will be coming in after that, which is not necessarily what you want to do. Now, if you're in a uh, a qualified account like a uh, IRA, 401k or something like that, there's no issues. You know, because all that continues to be taxed at the um, at the results of whatever vehicle you're in at that time. So, from an investing standpoint, <clears throat> something is occurring today that is slowly but surely taking the investment world by storm, and it's called direct indexing. Mm -hmm. And the direct indexing is all about controlling the taxes on a taxable account. So, if you have not yet you need to subscribe to the Guided Retirement Show. And on one of the last episodes or two of the Guided Retirement Show, I interviewed our Director of Investments, Stephen Tuckwood. He goes who, by Tuck. Who is a CFA. CFA. Yeah, and, and we talked about the, what direct indexing is all about. So I encourage you to get to either the Guided Retirement Show on YouTube or your favorite podcast app and look for that episode with Stephen Tuckwood on direct indexing. I want to give just a little flavor of it here on America's Wealth Management Show, bud. But essentially, you are removing the mutual fund wrapper or you're removing even the ETF wrapper and you're going and you're buying the stocks that make up that index individually. So you establish your cost basis individually. Right. And then through a algorithm, there is constant tax loss harvesting going on to offset Future capital gains. gains. Remember what we said early, you can have a capital loss, but unless you have a capital gain to offset it, it doesn't do you any good. Right. Right. So the the tax loss harvesting that's taking place inside the direct indexing investing method is actually allowing for a very tax efficient growth in stocks because you're actively harvesting the losses. So an example would be, let's say I'll, I'll use Coca-Cola and Pepsi as an example, two companies in the same exact industry. You might own Coca-Cola today, and let's say Coca-Cola falls in price and we want to capture that loss, but we don't want to forego the ability to uh, get the gain when Coca-Cola goes back up. We sell Coca-Cola, we buy Pepsi. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as that industry moves higher, Pepsi stock goes up and you get the gain, but you've already you've already captured the the loss and it's a realized offset. loss to offset any future mm -hmm. capital gains. Yeah. That's what I call making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. And it really, and I've been engaged with that type of investing for quite some time. 
And it's an incredibly efficient. Now, that's not for IRAs, folks, or anything like that. This is for taxable accounts. Right. Well, you, you could do a direct indexing for IRAs too, bud. You can, but the tax consequences aren't the result. Correct. So mm-hmm. why would you do direct indexing? Just to take just a little sidebar here. Yeah. You would do direct indexing in a taxable account if you have strong feelings about industries that you want excluded from your investing strategy. Or countries. Exactly you know, right. Regions. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can shape that investment to fit your personal beliefs. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's why you might want to hold that yeah. instead of an ETF inside of a... And I have to tell you, it's a little perplexing for people when they see all these trades going through that are you know selling uh, during these uh, periods of time when they can actually uh, capture those losses. And I know that sounds silly. You know, you really want to capture a loss? And the answer is yes, because that's going to offset gains into the future. So we store those. Right. Well, and the, and the other thing is that since you're buying a lot of individual positions... Mm-hmm. Your minimums for direct indexing are far higher than just going out and buying an ETF. You, there is no minimum to buy an ETF, sure. uh, or, or most mutual funds minimums are are fairly low. So, not everybody has access, but most people with money have access. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just may not know about it yet. Yeah, that's right. So, another way that we can uh, obviously control uh, capital gains is by creating a forward-looking tax strategy. So we go back to those those tax rates, bud, um, anything on a taxable income of below 89250 your tax rate is zero. So let's just say that you're heading into retirement and you've got a, you've got a, a highly appreciated stock and maybe it's making up 20 or 25% of your portfolio and you want to trim that position over time. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've done a good job of saving some money outside of retirement accounts that you can actually spend and not cause a tax liability, you could actually start selling off some of that stock, staying below that $89,000 income limit Mm -hmm. and pay zero tax on those capital gains. You won't undo it all at once, but you can certainly... You know, reset your cost basis in that individual stock and also taking a stock that is highly appreciated and putting it into an account where you're doing the direct indexing mm-hmm. and you're using those lo- offsets, uh, offsets uh-huh. to offset the capital gain on that stock. So it's a beautiful thing that you can actually um, start to control how that capital gain taxes is done. And if it sounds confusing, it really isn't, but it is sophisticated. And it's something that we couldn't have done in the past without the use of computers, you know, who are doing these daily calculations. And so I'll see all these trades that will go through on accounts that are doing that direct indexing. And I go, wow, they really sold a lot today (laughs) or whatever the case may be. But uh, I know our clients know that what that really is doing is securing a less taxable future. Right. Well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to mirror the return of whatever index it is you're trying to turn to, whether it's the NASDAQ 100, the S&P 500, the Dow 30, whatever it might be, you're trying to mirror the return of that index with a very tight tracking error, which means you're trying to come as close as possible to matching the return of that index, but in a very tax-efficient manner. Yes, indeed. And that tax alpha in a lot of studies has been said to increase the net return by 1% to 2% per year, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. It is a big deal. People don't like that number necessarily. They want to hear something in the higher singles or lower di- double digits. But the reality is it's, it's all net income. Yeah. Yeah. So you so so by doing what I just talked about, what you had already had to have done is you had to have had a financial plan created. 
and you had to have had a CPA sitting alongside that CFP creating that long-term tax strategy because that CPA needs to understand if you've got a highly appreciated asset that you know we need to trim that position over a period of time. If you haven't already created the plan and the CPA is not there with the CFP, you're just going to be selling that or doing whatever and not knowing is that really the right strategy. And how many people <clears throat> listening or watching the program have even considered a tax strategy? Probably most. You know, So this is an opportunity for you to be exposed, if you will, to what we can do to be able to nuance a better return associated with that. Well, and speaking of tax strategies... We happen to have put together <laughs> our tax reduction strategies guide. Now, this tax reduction strategies guide is uh, very, very detailed. It's 12 pages of checklists and all kinds of things in here that can help you do what we want you to do, and that is reduce your tax burden over your lifetime, not just in one year. And this is where I think most people really fall short as they get they get that short-term vision. They get the they they want that immediate gratification, as opposed to understanding that taxes are going to be a fact of your life as long as you have money and make money and live in the United States. We should try to create a situation where you pay as little taxes, not in a given year, but over your lifetime. So the white papers, white books that Dean is talking about here does something that most people wouldn't be able to do, and that is ask the right questions. Yeah, that's you know? sure. Because you, you don't have all the, the questions that you need to ask. Right. Of course, you can go out to our website and get that tax reduction strategies along with our retirement plan checklist and all kinds of other great uh, information to help you become more educated. And that's also where you can click the schedule a meeting button and get a conversation started with one of our CFPs alongside of our CPAs. And, you know, we talk about taxes, bud. Why? Because taxes are generally the number one wealth eroding factor that face people in, in retirement. retirement. Mm -hmm. And it yet it's one of the things that we have the most control over. I see so many people focusing on and obsessing about what the markets are doing. What's the Federal Reserve going to do with interest rates? What's the economy doing? You know, are we going to go into recession? What's the next hot? Those are all things that are so far out of your control, yet that's where people obsess about when the reality is we can impact your overall financial plan and retirement plan far more with good tax planning than yeah. what the investments are. And we haven't even talked about becoming a Rothaholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm Bud Casper and I have 100% of my money in a Roth IRA, <laughs> I am in a tax-free state, right? Not uh, a state it, that you live in, but yeah, a, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a state of contentment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a very contentment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no more taxes, right? That's right, right. So unless you keep working, so, <laughs> and I know you'll do that. Um, listen, I, I know that the, the whole concept of taxes and, um, you know, controlling taxes for most people that have been successful and accumulated a good amount of money, they feel like they've paid their fair share, not to use a term from our Congress people, but you've paid your fair share and you should continue to pay what you're legally required to pay. But don't pay a dollar more. Exactly. We, right. we see so many times people overpaying their taxes, 
And it's not because their tax return was done wrong. It's because they missed opportunities because they didn't have a CFP that had created the financial plan and working alongside the CPA. That's where people make mistakes, and that's why they overpay their taxes. But working with our CFPs and CPAs, you can eliminate that worry. We appreciate everybody joining us here on America's Wealth Management Show. I'm Dean Barber along with Bud Casper. Until next time, everybody stay healthy and stay safe. Represent the opinion of Modern Wealth Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. Modern Wealth Management does not accept any liability for the use of the information discussed. Consult with a qualified financial, legal, or tax professional prior to taking any action.